Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast pottering around the unsuspecting tree being bullied by Mangum Reads. We are three muggles who do not deserve to be boiled in frog spawn, whether we've been two-timing Harry Potter or not. My name is Sarah. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing? I'm just glad I haven't come into contact with a boobo tuber. <laughs> I seems real bad. <laughs> The level of pranks that are just viewed as commonly acceptable in this world are just outright terrifying. I, I don't I mean, think this is a prank. I think this is more like This minor is like terrorism. getting battery acid. Yeah, battery acid in your or a letter Again, bomb. No one calls the authorities. It doesn't get sent up the chain to command. No police investigation is open. They're like, "Oh, that's a sucky morning. How about you go to the hospital?" Okay, sorry, she's late for class. That level of reaction implies that this is on the level of Oh, look at that prank. So Hogwarts does not have anything that comes anywhere near mandatory reporting for literally anything. <laughs> the entire schooling <laughs> would true. come to a halt. Very true. <laughs> These are the real reasons that Dumbledore is so upset when the ministry starts to interfere at Hogwarts. Mm, mm. So we are on um, chapter eight of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Uh, I believe it is called The Madness of Mr. Crouch. It, that is correct. And we have some segments that we do here. We have a rapid-fire recap, BJ's Wizard Wheezes, Newbie's Notes with Spencer, we award house points, and then there are questions and queries and qualms and quibbles. Uh, only a certain quotient of those will be accepted. Thank you. For consideration. So, speaking, speaking purely for myself, given the 29-page monstrosity that you have to summarize here, I've kept my questions to a minimal. I'm assuming you're going to need a break afterwards. Thank you. I thoroughly appreciate that. BJ, take notes. <laughs> uh, I am left to ponder, though. How long do you feel you're going to need for this one? Well, I... I've got your two minutes always, but the... Are you feeling lucky? Am I going to do the bet? You know, uh, Mr. Crouch is mad in this chapter. We might all be mad here. I will place a bet at oh. 154. One? Okay. There's no reason for that extra second. I have shaved off of my standard, my bog standard bet. But here we are. All right. We we, ha we have a time. We will uh, leave it to BJ fine. if the uh, requisite... Num requisite amount of specificity happens in the course I'm of just going to say, like, it's not going to be possible if you're doing it in two minutes, and I will be various amounts of disapproving depending on how much you actually cover. Okay, well, you, you whatever. You have your goal, you have your five-second march <laughs> we'll on either side, you have the East German judge already saying they're going to give you a failing <laughs> score. Let's see how it goes. As long as I don't get bubber tuber pus in the mail, <laughs> I, I'm going to score this a win, so it's fine. That is a low standard for life right there. But the timer's ready when you are. They're on the crouch case and go to the kitchens to give Dobby his socks. He's thrilled, Ron's hungry, Hermione's concerned about Winky, who is drunk on butterbeer, pining for Mr. Crouch. Through a series of hiccups, Harry questions her on where he might be, and Winky, Winky is super upset that Mr. Crouch might be ill without her. She's also been entrusted with his most important secret, and she sure as hell isn't going to tell Harry about it. After she drops off and the other house elves cover her up with a tablecloth, they've kind of had enough of the human interference and usher them out. They send the extra food to Sirius and, from the owlery, see an uncomfortable conversation between Hagrid and Maxime. The next morning, Hermione starts receiving magazine letter threats from Skeeter's article. She even gets squirted with bubber tuber pus, sending her to the hospital wing. Harry and Ron head to care of magical creatures where they're starting on Nifflers. They're fluffy metal detectors who will destroy your home and life to find gold. The class is a huge success. They practice with leprechaun gold, which disappears after a few hours. This gets caught in Ron's craw. He paid Harry back at the World Cup in leprechaun gold and can't understand how Harry just didn't notice. Now he's in a foul mood. The Hermione hate rolls on, possibly even from Mrs. Weasley, and she vows revenge on Rita Skeeter. They finally get a response from Percy, who is unhelpful. Harry is summoned to the Quidditch pitch to learn about the third task. It's a giant booby-trapped labyrinth. They'll enter based on scores, and the first of the Triwizard Cup at the center will win. On the way back, Crumb pulls Harry aside to ask about Hermione. He's satisfied they're just friends, 
But a very uh, disheveled Mr. Crouch lurches from the Forbidden Forest, giving orders to a non-existent Weatherby. He manages to call out for Dumbledore in a lucid moment, saying he's done a stupid thing. Harry tells Crumb to stay with him while he goes up to the castle for help. He runs into Snape, but Dumbledore finally emerges and asks very specific questions of Harry as they hurry to Mr. Crouch. When they get back to the spot, Crouch is gone and Crumb is unconscious. Dumbledore unstuns him and Crumb claims Crouch attacked him. Hagrid and Moody show up on scene. Dumbledore sends Hagrid for Karkaroff and Moody for Crouch. Karkaroff immediately starts bellowing about treachery and cheating. Hagrid's not having any of it, and Dumbledore has to send him to escort a to escort Harry back up to the castle. Hagrid's mad about Crumb. Karkaroff maxes him the lot. Harry finally makes it back to the common room to report to Hermione and Hermione. Okay, impressive. <sighs> Barely. 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 Oh. Yeah, that I should have put the one second back onto my bog standard <laughs> bet, but it was, I believe, 158, what, 31? 31. BJ, BJ. was it enough? <laughs> I mean, you already was know my answer, but it was, it was a, a lot covered, a very impressive amount covered <laughs> for the amount of time that you spent on it. All right. Fine. That's a hell of a compliment coming from BJ. <laughs> yeah, actually, I feel pretty good about that. Two, two points for you going in great in the last few chapters of the book. Whew, thank you. So let's uh, give me a break and BJ, you can start wheezing. Well, so th- there aren't so many things to wheeze about um, other than things that have been wheezed about before. Uh, we do have a double semicolon sentence and those are always entertaining. Um, but we're going to dip into things that are a little bit more complicated where... The, the book seems to be a little bit more self-aware um, and saying things in the characters that I don't, I don't know that they'd say themselves because you're usually not that bright with Ron uh, joking that Hermione's going to come back with a, a bunch of uh, hate Rita Skeeter badges. Um, it's always good to see that we're hating on Pigwidgeon um, and I don't understand why that's a general thing. Um, I mean, it's only Ron. It's just Ron. It is only Ron. Uh, but the book does, not, not hitting on Pigwidgeon per se, but a little bit with uh, no one having a way to convey packages in, in any reasonable way other than just like, well, we'll just tack some more owls onto it and it's going to be fine. Um, yeah, less, less hating, more dunking on poor Pigwidgeon, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well... He's enthusiastic, if nothing else, so... Yes. He will be um, leading the flight. I I imagine that his enthusiasm is not particularly useful for the other larger uh, owls. Fair. Um, And then the last thing that I find hilariously entertaining um, is Hagrid, who has had a lot of things happen in this chapter, and, you know... What can you expect from Hagrid other than to be a protectionist and very, very, very much against them foreigners? foreigners. (laughs) Having presumably had some character growth um, in the the past, understanding about where he's come from and that some people are intolerant, not only does he show how much he understands this, he shows it to us himself. (laughs) I mean... Yes. Is this was... this is not like overly surprising though. Now that he himself has found like more or less acceptance um in the wizard world, in fact such that he received essentially fan mail from generations of students who remembered him from their time there, he is now more than willing to throw others under the bus to secure his own position. Yes. Wait, wait, keep in mind it is the French. So, come on, it's tra- it's tradition. Well, that's true. There's both national pride as well as personal vendetta converging. No, no, no. Here. It is it isn't the French. It's at least in part the French. Well, it's it or at the Germans or whatever Crumb is supposed to be a part of, or, or like Russian-ish. East, yeah, like Russian. It might be from Ukraine. I'm yeah. not sure. Uh, I I think you mean future Russia. Future Russia. Oh. <laughs> Lost that listener base right there. Thanks, BJ. Okay, Spencer. Okay, well. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, there there just isn't a lot. Um, there was a spell. It was boring. You know, there, there isn't a lot of wordplay to wheeze about in these later chapters. And other than, you know, things that we've sort of already discussed, which are less entertaining to wheeze about, we have uh, slim pickings here, as it were. 
too much inform- actual information had to get out for there to be like pure things of pure entertainment here. Right. Um, which well, means that our newbies notes is going to be voluminous. Yes. yes. I-, I will try to keep it down as much as I can. Uh, we open with uh, Dobby getting his reward of socks, which is both adorable and I will reiterate nowhere near enough. <laughs> As you say, even when you're giving him the socks, is that you literally saved my life. Even I think he uses the word literally. Mm-hmm. One pair of socks is what you're measuring the value of your life at Harry Potter. Well, Keep that in mind. I mean, to be fair, the ex- he did a lot with the first sock, and he has promised future socks. Yes. He's I, not going PJ, to deliver because he's yes. Harry Potter and he's the worst. Yes. You're proving my point. But we don't know that yet. Yes, we do. <laughs> BJ, I want to know. I want you to know how uh, well trained you have me, or poorly trained. I'm not sure, <laughs> but the spike. I wish I had a chart of the spike in my heart rate when you say "to be fair," because I have no idea what's going to come after that. <laughs> oh God, we're going to watch Letter Kenny at some point. Um, so while they're handing off the socks to Dobby, Ron is just enjoying free goods and services far too much, which pisses off Hermione to no end. Uh, but over in the corner, the focus then turns to poor Winky, who is not looking hot. Poor Winky has had a very rough run of freedom, apparently. Uh, and notably, is looking more than a little bit comparable to how her old master turns out at the end of this chapter. I wonder about the parallel issues there. There, Yeah, there are, there are certainly some uh, bookending going on in this chapter. Yes, this doesn't seem quite the world that has actual sympathetic magic. This just sort of seems like a, I'm going to hammer a point home, and I'm going to do it with Winky because I like doing that to the elves. Mm. I would say that we're just in a narrative, BJ. This is what happens in a narrative. (laughs) Our expectations, sir. I disagree with BJ's continual theory about Harry Potter being a dumb jock, even though it has a certain measure of truth to it. But I do love the text felt the need to say he was struck by sudden inspiration for the idea of questioning Winky about Crouch. (laughs) It's like base one kind of thought about she might know something. Shouldn't I ask her a few questions about the guy who I now think is relevant to the plot and may be missing or not? It's like he has to be hit by a thunderbolt for that idea to occur to him. Okay. The the thing that I want to say is actually bringing up something later in this chapter that I can't imagine that we'll talk about because it is not particularly germane to any other conversation other than Harry being a dumb jock and other characters acknowledging that because Bagman assures him, don't worry, we're going to get the Quidditch pitch back. Like, you'll be okay. And and <laughs> clearly, everybody knows that this is something that Harry needs in his life. It, it wasn't just Harry. Our Hufflepuff was also very concerned, too. Um, it's for the anyways, good of all. Indeed. We want to talk about sad lines. Uh, the quote, House elves has no right to be unhappy when there is work to be done and masters to be served, is a really sad line about the state of their culture. Uh Nothing funny there, just that's the state they're in, and they're damn right willing to lynch somebody that's even trying to suggest there is another way to live. Yeah, and I mean, it's curious where this is going to go, because it can either go very dark or have a redemption arc, and I'm worried that it's just going to go dark and leave it there, because there's nothing, you know, there isn't going to be a turnaround for the house elves by the end of the series. Mm -hmm. The the proselytized mas- uh, messiah is Dobby, so do of that as you will, well, in terms we, of what that man can accomplish. We, it's also, Dobby and Hermione who are leading this charge. Right. And, and Hermione fits into a category that I'm unwilling to retcon as she's not the white savior complex. So She's a thousand percent white yeah. savior complex, and like everyone, all of the other wizards, as problematic as, like for example, the Weasleys take on what house elves should or should not want or or what they are capable of doing in the world as problematic as that is still every other character is calling Hermione out on her, the ridiculousness of her position here right and it, it's really shown of when her immediate reaction whenever she actually talks to the house elf is just to get angry at them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, they're, they're not self-affirming her confirmation bias as to how they should react or should appreciate of her actions and that is just quintessential white savior complex at play here mm-hmm which I think the text is delightfully self-aware of. Mm. Yeah. Uh, 
No, PJ, give this one credit. <laughs> this one seems pretty on the nose. This is what the text is going for. But I, I think Dobby is the one that actually could bring about the reform um, that could actually, you know, bring about a new cultural boon for their society. But we just haven't necessarily seen the willpower out of him yet, much less the groundswell of support. Yeah, I mean, and I think that they do, like, there is that opportunity with, like, his interaction with Winky. But, again, don't think it'll be addressed. Mm. Uh, I like that Harry is kind of sort of getting into a Monty Python discussion about the carrying capacity of swallows when he's discussing how many owls are needed to carry a single ham off to the uh, countryside to feed Sirius. Of where it's essentially he's proposing that they like, like wrap it up in creeper and you know carry it off there with him with gotta be Pidwidgeon leading the flight, of course. So Spencer, which no one's gonna notice this. Given your going e- into a cave, extensive yeah, knowledge of notion. birds, is this a reasonable? Ham to owl ratio, given the owls chosen. Well, the issue is, are they going to share grabbing it by the husk? The owls need room to fly. They have a big wingspan here. This is not, unless this is an oddly like long ham that there'd be a distance between each you carrying it. It's like a chinook. Like, interfere with each other. You know, they're, they're, they're just, you know, going to have things connected to them. It's going to dangle from them in, in, you know, in between. We have not heard previously about joint carrying owl apparatuses in the Harry Potter universe. Right, I understand that. Such things but exist. I'm asking you whether the the two owl power is enough to <laughs> carry a ham, given your I, knowledge I, of of the size and proficiencies of said owls. I will be an attorney and say, well, it really depends on the size of the ham. Moving on. <laughs> uh, I, also, Sarah, like you said. I love that Harry's discreet means of feeding Sirius is to send a team of owls carrying a giant ham across the countryside. I mean, come on. (laughs) It never crosses his head. It's like when Dumbledore even like calls him out on it later, he acts shocked that anyone saw through his clever, his clever plan. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is Uh, the dumb part of the dumb jock. I mean, I, I don't know what more support for my theories you need. I'm saying there's more to him than just that. Uh, Hermione's male abuse due to a Rita Skeeter article is interesting. It's kind of like a Twitter mob, even in the sense it's being delivered to her by owls, which feels appropriate. Uh, I also love that the messages are just straight up serial killer style. Like someone felt (laughs) the need to cut individual letters Mm -hmm. out of the article to paste and send her way just to give you a hint of how psycho these people are. And if we need even direct, even more direct in-story evidence, as you guys said, undiluted boobotuber pus... Jesus Christ. So I do have a question, which I might forget to ask later. Sarah, you pronounce that Bubbotuber. Is, yes. Is that how, like, audiobooks pronounce it and stuff? I, or? I don't know. Okay. Because I was assuming it had to do with bubonic plague, and that's why I was it going... Is. Okay. You're probably right. Yes. Um, I, I, I have for 20 years pronounced it Bubbatuber Bus and therefore will not perfectly reasonable I just didn't know if you had heard the audiobook version and then I was going to be frustrated with (laughs) the audiobook no this this could just be a me thing for those playing the home game, BJ and I are making reference to the idea that buboes are the unfortunately very painful sores and pus-filled nodules that will form on you when you're suffering from bubonic plague. Great. Wonderful visual for what Harry po- from what Hermione's going through here. Mm-hmm. Also, Sarah, in reference to your mispronunciation, the, the, the right pronunciation, wrong pronunciation, how people pronounce it, we're going to come to it in a minute, but I feel like this chapter is very self-aware of uh, how to pronounce Hermione in that regard. <laughs> uh, nifflers sound adorable. The descriptions we get is that they are black, fluffy, have long snouts, spade-like front paws, they're cuddly, they're politely puzzled, they're drawn to sparkly things, they enjoy digging and delivering valuable items, and they're willing to take a bite out of Slytherins. Nominee for best creature ever, here we go. Okay, Spencer, (laughs) but given your hate for, like, mockingbirds, I'm not, this, this is the fluffy mockingbird. I don't hate mockingbirds, they just hate me, apparently. Okay. And the rest of all things that aren't them. <laughs> I will, I have to say that for four and a half books, Spencer, I've been excited for you to meet a Niffler in these books. <laughs> They're great. They're adorable. I have some questioning about how a creature that primarily digs underneath the ground is fluffy. But other than that, this creature sounds like one I want to have regardless of the property damage that even Hagrid says they will inflict on my home. Yeah, when Hagrid's a little questionable about whether these would make good pets or not, we are in real dangerous territory. <laughs> I mean, it could be that Hagrid is perceptive, and it would be a particular problem 
for ponder ponder what you just said, BJ, about Hagrid and perceptiveness. Hagrid does things with her, his perceptions that we don't agree with, but I don't know that he is not perceptive. Mm, maybe. I think this is just a level of scale of, no, these will directly undermine the foundation of your home if you give them 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, but apparently they also allow Ron to actually win at something, which I don't remember. I don't I think the last time that happened was a chess game in book one. So kudos for Ron. Yes, he, uh, he Leopard chose the random Niffler that worked out well. Score. But uh, then immediately found something to be mad about, so... Yes. It's Ron! And yeah, the form of things he gets mad about, Leprechaun Gold. Which, we've talked about J.K. Rowling and foreshadowing being about as subtle as a brick to the head. Leprechaun Gold referenced here with, like, three people talking about it and being explicitly tied back to the World Cup just sounds like there's giant blinking lights on, I need you to remember this, it will come up again in the next three chapters. <laughs> Could be wrong, the signs are there. Uh... Hagrid getting his own Twitter hate was actually really hard for me to see, and also just how he kind of soldiered through it in silence without anybody else knowing was also kind of really sad to see. Um, Ron hating being poor uh, was explicitly referenced in this chapter and feels like it probably informs a lot more about his character than I really give credit. Yeah, that's one of those things that like bubbles up to the surface every once in a while, and you, yeah. ca you can kind of forget about it most of the time because he has so many other reasons that he explicitly states that he's jealous or are explained why he's jealous. But this money issue is fundamental. Yeah, and something that we've talked about quite a bit mm -hmm. when they went shopping for uh, class goods at the beginning of this book mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. how insane just Harry Potter is with money. Um, mm -hmm. Also, and that plays into this as well, because yeah. Ron's not wrong that it's a little bit crazy that Harry just didn't notice that this, like, significant amount of gold disappeared. Yeah. Pocket full of gold coins. He's like, eh, I lost my wand somewhere. Well, but also he's kind of like, eh, I lost my wand somewhere. Oh, crap, I <laughs> should find it way after the fact. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. eh. Variety of issues at play there. I think it's fair to say that Hermione was out for blood like two chapters ago versus Rita Skeeter. Is there a word to describe the amount of murder she's going to inflict on her at this point? I mean, she's going like full uh, Jacobean revenge tragedy at this oh, point. Oh, God. <laughs> Either that or just throat writing letters to the editor that actually set things on fire. Uh, yeah, I think it's throats cut with diamonds, <laughs> strangled with pearls. Like, that's where we're going here. <laughs> Yeah, it's not just going to be murder. It's going to be poetic. <laughs> People will write sonnets on the subject of this killing. <laughs> uh, it is f interesting to see we finally have an in-story explanation for why we don't see more human technology or muggle technology around Hogwarts or in general in the Wizarding World. So we get the off-mentioned by Hermione, of all people, that apparently concentrated magic in the area causes mainline muggle technology to just go haywire. Now, that is the definition of a hand wave, while we haven't seen, you know, cell phones anywhere, but it is an explanation. Also, the era of when the story was written also explains the lack of cell phones other than the giant Zach Morris things, but still, <laughs> yeah. bear with me. Um, I thought there was also a little bit of things that mimic uh, muggle technology don't work well at Hogwarts, but maybe I, uh, I think we're misread I think that. We're saying it's kind of, I think we're saying kind of the same thing there. Th things that are based on or, or working around muggle technology just are, are in some way interfered with. I guess, like, my thinking was not only do, like, l normal, like, bugs, like, electronic bugs don't work. Things that are magic but mimic an electronic bug, but they're, like, a, you know, a magic fly on the wall that would report sound or whatever don't work well on Hogwarts campus either. We will, um, Re I don't know if it shows up on, yeah, I don't know if it will show up actually in Hogwarts, but we will revisit the idea of exactly one of these types of things in the next book. Okay. Gotcha. But it's interesting, too, that they're doing all this pondering about, oh my god, how is she getting her information? What magical means is she doing so? In her last article, she she directly cited sources for some of the things she was relying on. It's like, you know, the the, the big Slytherin girl. She straight up just told her shit. She doesn't necessarily need magical means. She's just asking people. And anybody's perfectly happy to take Hermione and gang, or Harry and gang down a peg. Yeah, and it's well, also... Well, but there are, like, specific things that she couldn't have known. Like, she couldn't she, have been there for the conversation. From that one source. But 
unlike certain other authors that go a little bit too far in the other direction, we don't get a lot of description of the scenery and who's around uh, when these things happen. It's more just, you know, particularly relevant information to our three crew. And so... Sure. Who knows? Bear in mind, this is J.K. Rowling. The fact that she said that there's a secret magical means of doing so, or the characters are pondering it, means that there is a secret magical means that she's doing so that we're going to find out about. That's how the story works. Yes. Um, I think I can say yes to that without it being a spoiler. I mean, honestly, you could just leave the quill around places and, and pick up any sorts of information that you want and come back later. It might not be a word-for-word quote, because apparently that's how it works. I'm getting delightful Fantasia vibes of now the quill looking around corners. <laughs> yeah, and, and then she splits it in further and further things, and it just writes all of her articles for her forever. Mm-hmm. And drowns everybody down, in ink. Cut it down small enough, it only can write tweets. Um, <laughs> I r- really notes. feel bad for... It's in testimony testimony to how low Hermione gets in this chapter that frickin' Molly Weasley turns on her before the end. That's a rough moment. Sarah, you were playing like, ah, maybe she turned on her. It's like, no, she got a purposefully really tiny egg, which is about as much as Molly Weasley can turn on you. It seems like that happened, Mm -hmm. which I almost feel like this is a bit of like a Daily Mail commentary here about all housewives reading that and being influenced by it. Well, they read it for the useful things, but... You know, other stuff happens to creep in. It just happens to be there. We we have had a lot of love for Molly Weasley on this podcast. Well-deserved love. But remember also that she was a Gilderoy Lockhart fangirl. So she oh, has this true. gear. Like, this is, this is something she can do. This is like the is opposite true. of reading Playboy for the articles. <laughs> <laughs> um, we get an interesting letter from Percy about... Uh, how he's been continuing to receive instructions from Crouch, and no, he's not seen him in person, but he recognizes his handwriting, which, as we directly see by the end of this chapter, is clearly not sent by him, by, by Crouch, that is, because Crouch apparently was, you know, had to escape and was locked up and looks at a disastrous state. So now we're left to ponder who's able to fake Crouch's handwriting. Well, the stuff that he was saying was very much in line of presumably things that that Weathersby would have received. And so, like, if there was a similar uh, setup to, like, something that would take notes, because I don't imagine that he actually puts Quill to parchment and writes things out. So, I mean, I guess, like, I I could see where him being in ca- captivity and, his, like, what he's saying is captured for notes, that sort of voicemail-like distinctiveness to, to whatever is written down. Uh, I, I'm with you, but whether it be Percy, whatever you want to call him, explicitly says he recognized his handwriting. Right, but that's what I'm saying. Like, if you have, like, this auto-quill thing, my presumption is that what different different people talking go in in different hands, or he has his own personal think- quill. Do you think, BJ, that uh, Crouch has the um, bureaucratic version of the quick quotes quill? Oh, 100%. <laughs> eh, fair. Very fair. Um, I, I haven't come up with an alliterative way to uh, say that, but yes. Well, there's your new task. Quit, quit your wheezing and come up with this. Faulty title. filing feather? Uh, Workshop it. <laughs> <laughs> We've also found out what our third test is going to be for the Triwizard Tournament, and I'm curious to ask y'all. First test, steal an egg from a dragon. Second test, save people from drowning or disappearing forever while underwater guarded by mermaids. Third test, hedge maze with monsters and magical traps. Of these three, which would you most be willing to do? With wizarding powers? That's a really good question. Uh, Yes, if you lived in this world, let's say. you're, You're properly House Slytherin, you've been picked for the Triwizard Tournament. That's a great question. I I think I'm going to go for the second task. The aquatic adventure? Yes. I think I could have figured out the egg and found a way. That, like that, The first part of it is solving a puzzle, then it's research, and then it's swimming. I think mm-hmm. I'm good. BJ, thoughts? Um, I think as long as the third, and it will go haywire in a certain way, but um, I am reminded of a time that I did a corn maze with a friend and we basically ran the entire thing because it's like, 
we can run this and we can definitely beat other people if we just do that. You can just plow forward and do whatever it is you need to do. So given that that's already a part of my personality, yeah, I think the maze would be fine. Yeah, as, as much as it's a magical maze and so certain to fuck with you a little bit, I'm probably going with that because it seems the most straightforward. So the I scuba mean, diver of the crowd is just like 100%, I am uh, not saving people underwater. I don't care about them. <laughs> Let them pl- die. Please note, we said explicitly within this world, if it's just Spencer me doing this, I'm putting on my gear and I'm fine for task two. I'm great. <laughs> but apparently you can't bring muggle items to make it work. So I can't I can't rely on that for option number two. Just like have some gills. I feel like this is a very straightforward transformation. And I'd be surprised if wizarding Spencer Puff would would not be able to do <laughs> such things. Honestly, this is more of just like a standing thing in literature. Transformation spells or transformation things really scare me, make me uncomfortable. Uh, so the whole growing... They worked okay in, in I think, uh, The Once and Future King. You read that one differently than I did then. Go on. <laughs> at least in the beginning. Anyway. At least in the beginning. Oh, jeez. Um, but it, it, it does sound like it is an interesting uh, test for the third one here. Mm-hmm. It's basically just who can touch the cup first, staggered entry based on, based on current scores. Mm-hmm. So Harry's got a little bit of an edge, but otherwise this one could be interesting because it, the information is vague enough that they can fill this labyrinth with whatever they want i mean we uh, already have some hints as to what it is being filled with so i feel like there needs to be another twist i the twist is the spells that was vague it's just like he said oh you know hagrid's filling it with creatures you can ask hagrid and he'd tell you what creatures he's putting in there <laughs> and also there's some spells in there that could mean anything yeah uh Sarah, like I mentioned earlier, Crumb's pronunciation of Hermione feels like it's a direct commentary to the readers of, I understand that no one actually found that name intuitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, he pronounces it Hermione Nini, which I googled it, and apparently a lot of people pronounced it pretty similar when they were first reading these books. Yeah, I, I was definitely in the Hermione camp. Yeah, that's that, that was by far and away the most common, mm-hmm. where people seem to view that is pronounced i think that the leviosa joke was also thrown in for such problems mm. that's probably fair yeah i i also still find it sad how taken crumb is with her as we discussed it seems like she is one of the first people he's ever cared for and that's kind of sad um meanwhile harry and crumb bonding over quidditch was was a. Uh, it, it was good to see that because it also indicates he's now bonding with every single one of his competitors in a way that I'll be curious to see how the story uses before it wraps up. Different reasons, different grounds, but he has gotten close with all of them now in his own So way. the way that he bonds with somebody else and actually speaking to them in a functional way is through the only sport in the entire damn world. And you're saying it, he's not a dumb jock. Okay. I don't, I'm like, saying... this is just standard water cooler talk, talk, whether you're a jock or not. Like, this is just how bonding works. Fair enough. Yeah. You find yeah, also, a common topic, and whatever it is, you talk about it. Also, BJ, I feel like this is, if you're going to be a banker, you better learn how to, do, how to play golf. If you're going to be in the wisdom world, not learning Quidditch just feels like you're asking for gaps in conversation. I think you're just asking to work in the Ministry of Magic in one of the more boring departments. Or work, <laughs> fair, fair. work at Hogwarts. I can't imagine that snape cares one whit for quidditch oh no we're gonna get to snape here in a second about what he cares about it's nothing good or interesting well he will intervene to let the slytherin team practice when they are not supposed to practice right he signed those forms of course he will uh crouch arrives looking like abject hell and completely off his gourd oh off his gourd is not an expression i've heard for a long time and i like that one thank you for that spencer I'm here for you. We'll try and squash uh, it out of you. <laughs> that was actually really good. Bravo. <laughs> I hate you for that. I have to compliment you, but I hate you. Uh, he's mumbling vaguely about Weatherby and arranging for the Triwizard Tournament, and also, notably, better times with his family in the distant past, because he's actually talking about his wife and the son there, too. What central tidbits we get is that he needs to see Dumbledore. He did something stupid. He's concerned about Harry being, quote-unquote, his student before then being reassured that, no, he's Dumbledore's student, which casts an obvious target sign on a different te- a, a different headmaster that's available here. Um, he's ex- he's apparently escaped. He's got a warn. It's all his fault. Birth is dead. It's his fault. My son, tell Dumbledore, Harry Potter, Dark Lord, Stronger Harry Potter. Okay. 
Don't know how to put all that together. Harry repeats it pretty damn well later, though, so maybe Dumbledore can piece that together for us later. It appears that he's been intricately involved in the plot, and given the mention of various memory charms in the past, I'm willing to suggest that might be a possible explanation. Or not memory charms. What's the one of where you can completely, like, puppeteer someone and they don't even Cruciatus. know Cruciatus. Uh, that's the um, torture one. It's the Imperius. Oh, Imperius. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm expecting that will be relevant in some way for what we're seeing this character go through. We'll find out. Uh, in ter- you guys discussed what Snape likes to do. I'm fully content from the, how Snape's reaction to Harry running up saying what he saw and Snape's reaction to it, that Snape's primary enjoyment in the world would be watching it burn so long as he can watch Harry Potter burn a half second before he does. That is his level of enjoyment about things. Because he's just being actively and willfully obstructionist for the sake of being such. But not burning to death. Just burning. Because Snape will save him, as we have proof in previous books. So he's not willing to let him perish... But just about anything up until there. Just a little singed. Yeah. If he can, if he can reanimate him from a few remaining cells that haven't been completely reduced to ash, that is grounds enough to meet his standards. Hmm. Uh, Dumbledore is thankfully right there behind him uh, and appears to be very concerned about the idea that Harry left Crouch with Crumb. Not clear why, other than they didn't find Crumb stunned in a ditch. Uh, PJ, as you said, we get the very boringly named Innervate spell. Uh, that rouses him a bit, and Crumb claims that Crouch attacked him, which feels wrong. I mean, I think that there are a lot of things going on here that are very on-brand, um, the least of which, which kind of frustrates me, and I like, I don't know, I, like, I assume we'll get reasons for it at some point or something, where Snape wants to be the defense against the dark arts teacher, but doesn't seem to take Voldemort seriously. And... That seems very odd coming from him, given that, like, he tries to be incredibly competent at the things that he does. I have to believe, I don't know this is true, that there's a lot of conversations between Snape and Dumbledore off camera, given the level of trust that Dumbledore seems to hold for Snape, and the fact that Snape maintains his position, like, despite, like you noted, having a very intimate knowledge of the Dark Lord, including, you know, like, actively hurting markers upon him. But we don't see it, so I can only assume such. So, yeah, I don't know, but it seems very weird. I think we also have uh, signs, wonders, and and all sorts of other things pointing with ringing bells, flashing lights, and everything else that maybe there is a headmaster that isn't on the up and up. What? Dear God! Isn't it possibly because Karkarov immediately upon the, upon arriving on scene tries to desperately deflect attention anywhere else but him? It might be that. Um, it's like it's also sort of a fascinating thing where like everybody seems to be okay with it. Um, I feel like everyone just you're it's it is weird that nobody like calls him on it or and like it's... sets up protections. I guess like call him yeah. on it. Like I understand that there is like this sense of like foreign envoys like he has the equivalent of diplomatic immunity but when like the diplomat wanders in with a bunch of you know weapons you kind of Mm -hmm. like surround him in a wall or something so hopefully less of it gets out whereas everyone's kind of like eh, have fun it's yeah they their reaction is really kind of like well that's just karkaroff doing karkaroff things and really that's just durmstrang doing durmstrang things like yeah and they just let it go I mean, the, the three people that we would most be likely to know that Karkaroff's a problem, I've made it very obvious they believe Karkaroff's a problem. I mean, Moody has made no effort to hide that he's watching the dude. Yeah. yeah. D- Dumbledore has made various... As direct as Dumbledore is willing to say that he's watching you, including his little off-reference here about being concerned about Crumb, I'm anticipating he's more concerned about Karkaroff than Crumb. Um, so that's there. And Snape has been directly having conversations with the man. Yeah. Um, also, I need to uh, make a petition to change his name to uh, Dumble, not a mandated reporter, door. <laughs> because yet again, we have another instance where a student is knocked out, albeit it is not one of his, so I guess that's fine. And he's just like, meh, just wake up, it'll be fine. 
We Dumbledore's can add it to his one of his like many, many middle names that he already has. <laughs> if you want to know what Dumbledore's hell is, it is clearly paperwork. If th- that oh man condemned God. to actually, you know, fill out W9s in the subject of his very, various actions at this school, it would be his nightmare. I imagine that Dumbledore would happily apply, uh, have un- appointed and under his control a bevy of house elves just to do paperwork. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He, mm-hmm. he would happily perpetuate a system of slavery for the sake of not having to go through that annoyance. He would start a system of slavery to not have to go through that annoyance. <laughs> not luckily, even house elves. Luckily, though, he has McGonagall, who seems to revel in paperwork. Fair. She's the perfect second-in-command. Bitchy, I'm now left with the scenario of, like, we, we arrive in Dumbledore's house because, you know, McGonagall's been sick a semester, and he's just enslaved Nifflers, and that's all they're doing now. He's like... House elves aren't enough. I need to enslave a new species. I mean, he probably Uh, could figure out something to transfigurate and just, like, generate things that will take note, fill out paperwork for him. Like, it doesn't need to be previously sentient. I I feel like Dumbledore would, instead of, like, figuring out how to actually fill out the paperwork in some way, shape, or form, he would just be, have, like, stacks of paperwork and then be conjuring carpets to cover them. You'd you'd come in and just find the uh, sorting hat just covering a mound of paper underneath it or whatever else. Or, yeah, this I mean, seems very on brand for him. I think the sorting hat is a good thing. He'll just toss quills and paperwork in the sorting hat, shake it up, and be like, it could work for an infinite number of monkeys. I feel like there's lots yeah, of stuff in the hat. <laughs> you never know. Uh, in terms of Dumbledore doing Dumbledore things, his little off mention about Harry, go to the tower, don't do anything, including sending owls. Mm-hmm. We'll talk. We'll talk later. Everything will be fine till morning, including sending owls. Like if this man actually wanted to get involved in the plot, these stories would be a lot simpler. <laughs> he has no interest in doing such a thing. Along with the paperwork, there are just plot holes swept under the rug. <laughs> and BJ, like you said, Hagrid mistrusting foreigners just feels so. I I don't know if it's on brand or accurate commentary or a mix of thereof, but I like it. Yeah. Um, I also like that there was basically the uh, precursor to the Marvel puny god uh, that just happened here. Apologize. Yeah. Taking the headmaster of another wizarding school and just like picking him up and shoving him (laughs) against the tree. It was a cheer moment. Yeah. It it was great. I I love how utterly a very protective Hagrid is of those he cares about, and Dumbledore is most certainly on that list. Mm-hmm. Um, also amusing that he's like, no, Dumbledore, you don't get to decide if I'm done protecting you. <laughs> <laughs> Papa Bear angry. Well, Sarah, that wraps up uh, my newbie's notes. Do you have ideas for who won and lost this chapter? We're going to have to have a little confab about this. Um, Let's go. Although I will say, and I... I I do think that he he might also be a contender for loser of the chapter, but if we are going to make a quick reference, Spencer, to another podcast that you are currently doing called The Lasso Lowdown, where you review with my husband all things Ted Lasso, you all do a segment called Trainwreck of the episode. Yes. And while he might fall under the loser of the episode, I think that we can resoundingly name him Trainwreck of the episode, one Bartimus Crouch. Oh, Lord. Yeah. The mighty have been knocked low. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I will put yeah. forth a, a character that we sort of see on screen as having a great day. Mm. One Weatherby. Weatherby, actually, yes. Weatherby. He gets to be a dick to people that he likes being a dick to. He gets to wield the power of the office of Crouch and do all of those things essentially without other input. Yes, this is like Percy at peak Percy. He's um, basically running the country. That's a terrifying thought. It's it's really scary, but I think he's having a good time. I actually really like that as an option, partially because we don't have a lot of options for winners of this chapter. Uh, closest I might say, it's still, it's still rough, Hag- the class declaring that they had the single best day at... Uh, mm-hmm. You know, ha- handling of magical mm-hmm. creatures even better than the unicorn day. Yeah, is good. a hell of a statement on how, how he's doing as a teacher. That, good, yeah, that is good for Hagrid. Um, Dobby gets a sock. Dobby gets Dobby two socks. Sock. But but I think the Hagrid one. I I, I like that one. He also okay. gets to protect Dumbledore very successfully. 
And he doesn't seem like, while he has a lot of complaints at the end of the chapter, while he is walking Harry back up to the castle, he does seem to enjoy just lambasting foreigners. So he kind of gets a little <laughs> bit of like a Hermione moment here, where we yeah. just have to call him being able to be mad about things a win. So, all right, we can go with Hagrid for the winner. Loser, we have some options. Um, Barty Crouch, certainly up there. Yeah. Uh, although... Mm-hmm. I, I, the reason I, I certainly wanted to name him Trainwreck and hesitate a little bit on loser of the chapter is we have so little information about what is actually going on with him. Fair. While it is clear that it is not good. Bad things I, didn't happen to him this chapter. No, we seem to be in the <laughs> fallout of the bad oh, yeah. things that happened. <laughs> if anything, it appears this chapter, he's on the way up. This is an upswing compared to where he apparently was a couple chapters ago. Um, maybe. Yeah. Winky, however. Winky is top of my list for... Downswing. She of... seems to just be having a bad yes. life right now. The this scene the... with her was really pretty rough. Yeah. I mean, at this point, we're at a 20-chapter butterbeer bender, and I don't see an end in sight. No. Um, n- n- no, we're, she is waking up for a little hair of the niffler each morning. <laughs> Um, so I am, I am very comfortable awarding Haggard winner of the chapter, Winky loser of the chapter, Barty Crouch train wreck of the chapter. The, the only honorable mention I might say, I fully agree with your choices. I think those are the ones we picked. Honorable mention, I think Hermione has to be at least thrown up there. Yes. Though it's Hermione. If anything, she probably is just inspired in a way she's never felt before as a result of this. Yeah. I, and also I think like, it's not... Right now, it's not her peers. It's not like everybody around her, like, mm. doing this. It's mm-hmm. strangers. It's strangers, and so, like, it doesn't have that close-to-home everybody-is-targeting-you-feel as opposed mm-hmm. to their letters that she can burn. That's a really good call. Yeah, that's a Fair. really good call. Fair point. Whereas, like, a chapter or two ago, it was everybody in school. And yeah. she clearly felt the fallout differently. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so questions. And luckily she's not feeling crummy this time. <laughs> so questions. Okay, as promised, I'm going to limit myself to one this time around. Okay. Um, do we get any further explanation other than the hand wave about how exactly magic interferes with muggle technology? Or is this just a standing rule accepted as is for the wizarding world? Yeah, that's just the like hand-waving explanation. Like it is, That is codified in Hogwarts of History. Um, that just for what... When magic is in the air, there's like two... When, when that concentrated amount of magic is in the air, the electronics and mechanical stuff and all of that, just it goes haywire. And that's one of the points I wanted to follow up on, is that explicitly it says Hogwarts. So are mm-hmm. there places in the Wizarding World where human technology could potentially work, but there are certain fonts of magic of where just nothing will function? Yeah, so, I mean, I think that, like, you can see, for example, um, at the Weasley household, where you have a lot of wizards doing magic, Mr. Weasley is still able to kind of mess around with some muggle technology, Mm-hmm. It doesn't always go exactly as planned. Um, but they but there's, the phone. Yeah, so there's, like, I, I don't know. I feel like mechanical stuff is one level and, like, electronic stuff is sure. another level. It's also possible that just because, like, of wizard things, they don't feel they need a phone. Yeah. Um, but th- there is a phone it, around it that does work. So it's not yes. like there's... I, I think it's, like, a gradient of magic. Like, the less magic there is, the more that muggle stuff works. And because, like, the Wizarding World isn't per se cut off from the Muggle world. Right. So Right. And so it's really just places like Hogwarts, like the Ministry of Magic, even though, as we will find out, the Ministry of Magic actually exists in London. um, But it is, like, highly protected and regulated and all of that. Um, I would imagine these... city of London? (laughs) Anyway... Okay. Um, I would imagine that the other wizarding schools are like also present these problems. Um, Probably why there are a lot of hearths and not a lot of central heating. Exactly. Hmm. Yes. Okay. That covers me. BJ, any questions? Um, are there other wizarding papers that are not rags? <laughs> 
So uh, we we are specifically in Witch Weekly here, right? That's right. The kind I of mean, world the Witch Weekly in. and the Daily Profit are both on a certain side of the general reporting yes. of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, is there uh, WPR? <laughs> um, not currently in our iteration of things, but um, we will see some alternative media sources come up as we progress. Reliable uh, ones? Specifically... Does her, Hermione is... gets into journalism and has something that is relatively reliable, but has a very significant bias. Political bend. <laughs> um, yeah, Hermione starts writing the Labor Party paper. <laughs> Uh, we have other news sources that we see. Okay. They're different. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) I mean, OANN is different from the Daily Mail, but like, Uh I I wouldn't say that either are going to report the facts. Uh Uh-huh. Is Colin Colin Creevy going to grow up to be like this universe's equivalent of Dan Rather or something? Oh man, there's a, there's a follow-on that I would read. (laughs) God. Yeah, so we'll see, BJ. I don't know how to answer that other than that. It involves characters we haven't met yet and, like, situations that don't exist yet. So that's all I can tell you. All right. I guess that's a thing. (laughs) Uh, Any other questions that I Um, can successfully not answer in any real way, shape, or form? I mean, as this chapter, like, the problem with plot chapters is we can't ask about plot. Yes. Or we can, but they're met unhelpfully. All of our time. Yes. (laughs) Well then, um, next next time time. we have chapter twenty nine, which might or might not go on the calendar. Um, Yes. And that is the dream. The dream uh, Mm -hmm. and a really big owl that has a very interesting head face area. Yep. And a a a. Very clearly Harry Potter figure riding him, so. This is clearly the owl that should be transporting hams. Um, yes, we have found it. Though, surprisingly, his hair seems to be a lot more kempt than than unkempt, which seems un-Harry Potter-like. Well, it is a dream, BJ. <laughs> a man can dream. I would assume that his magic would pervade his dream enough that he's still stuck with all of the things that he is frustrated <laughs> about in the waking world. Fair enough. Um, well... This has been fun, guys. It has. Looking forward to the next chapter.